Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daly Knives, and this is The Knife Perspective, episode number 031, The Big Show, everything you need to know about Blade Show. So, open up the responsible and appropriate bottle of your choice, sit back and enjoy while we massage your brain and make a little sweet, sweet love to your ears. How you doing tonight, Kyle? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh hard to hard to follow up with a uh intro like that. Yeah, it's it, it, I'm having a good night. I my naked body has been anointed with oils. I was brutally attacked by an angry pixie, and I got to tell you, I think it's the best massage I've ever had. Uh oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> what 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 have you been working on recently? Um, it has been, it's been mid-text, mid-text, mid-text. Um, yeah, I saw you had quite a few of the Carvex handles that you were putting on. Those look pretty cool. Yeah, those are, those are actually, by the time you hear this, those should be at Old Town Cutlery. And I've got, I've got basically the next three weeks are for Knife House, and then I'm back into the customs, which... I love the mid techs. I love that I'm being able to get some stuff out at the, the, the entry level price point, but I'm ready to do some, I'm ready to do some customs. I'm ready to do some weird stuff, man. I'm, I'm ready to get a little, little strange in the shop. You're going to, going to try that Gladius that you uh, have the steel in the corner that you uh, teased about. You know, this, this might be the month. I I've also, I've broken a couple of my design rules, like my hard and fast rules. You know, the, the mid-techs, they get kind of assembly line and my mind starts to wander and I've got, I've got a pairing knife pattern that just went into prototype with uh, some of the chefs. So I'm going to get some pictures up and I've got something, the lines are similar to what I've made, but it's, it's, it's violating a couple of the, the hard and fast dogwood design rules. So I got some new stuff coming out of the shop here in the next month or so. Oh, that'll be interesting to see. Very cool. No one's going to be more surprised than me. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been super busy with my actual job. And now that uh, everybody's kind of getting back in the school routine, my wife's going to be teaching and uh, the boys are going to be in preschool being four. So hopefully I'll have a little bit more time to get back in the shop and knock out knock out some orders. And I got to get some some knives to, to Lee. He was he was uh, poking me the other day. So hopefully. Uh, Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I can get a handful of knives down there for uh, for their big uh, uh, knife toberfest that we'll we'll talk about a little bit later. And as a side note, I am really impressed with your your mobile sanding rig. Yeah, and the fact that you were dedicated enough to go back to your hotel room and sand knives. Yeah, I was able to do a few of those, and I sanded some sanding sticks and stuff that I've been selling. Those those have been uh, pretty good. I got a lot of good feedback from from the from a lot of people about those a lot of people have been 
enjoying the hand sanding just a little bit more. I need to need to send you one. I was planning on giving you one at Blade, but I'll have to mail it down there to you now. You know, um, you were going to get a Kephart at Blade, too. Oh, man. <laughs> um, next year. I'll have it for you next year. <laughs> uh, sure, I can't uh, pay some shipping fees and get that up now? <laughs> Alrighty. You know, let, let me talk to the shipping department. I, I think we can do something. Alrighty. So we got our sponsors of the podcast is KH Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. We're the sponsors of the podcast, and you can find our knives at Old Town Cutlery, uh, both Dogwood Custom Knives and KH Daily Knives. And uh, you can find Dogwood Custom Knives additionally at Knife Center, the Knife House, and the Cook Station. Uh, so definitely check those out and give those companies some love. Uh, they do a lot to help support us, and we want to try to do a lot to help support them, too. Uh, you want to talk about your first shout out? Or slash question? Uh, South Carolina makers. All South Carolina makers within the sound of my voice. North Georgia makers. Lower North Carolina makers. Really anybody that is willing to drive to Greenville. You know, I was fortunate enough to, to come up with the Georgia Knife Making Guild. And it was hugely supportive. And I really liked their model. So... I I'm, I'm, would like to try and get a couple of makers together that would like to come by the shop. We'll do a couple of demos. Maybe some guys can do some knowledge share. Uh, got a great barbecue place down here. We'll make a day out of it. Do some barbecue dinner or do barbecue lunch, rather. Sorry. But I get a little excited. Barbecue, man. Or both. Day. Yes. <laughs> you know hey, if you can manage to make it a full afternoon and evening at my shop, I will get you a barbecue dinner. But I would love to hear from some, pretty much any maker that is willing to drive to Greenville for the day. I'd like to hear from you. If we can get a, a handful of guys, uh, we'll work out a scheduled date and come on up to the shop. We'll do some shop tours. We'll get a couple of different guys to do some knowledge trades. Uh, maybe get some of the Georgia Guild guys to come up and Let's see what we can do. Let's. I think there's an opportunity in South Carolina to really start to get a more supportive network, and I'd like y'all's help doing that. Cool. Uh, so I'll go ahead and throw it in. Uh, Dan at Dogwood Custom Knives is my email address. Please feel free to send me an email. Let me know your contact information if you're interested. We'll start getting something organized. Yeah. Make sure you send those uh, emails to Dan so I don't have to filter through all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had uh, a shout out to uh, the Lodge Cast Iron Sportsman's Grill. It's a hibachi charcoal grill. Uh, I've been been using that a bunch lately and it is awesome. I've been getting a lot of a really high sear on uh, some stuff. My wife made some uh, uh, Thai uh, pork pork loin kind of cut up on kebabs and got a awesome sear on those and just had a did a bunch of steaks and chicken thighs and stuff just uh you can't put a whole lot of meat on there all at one time but uh it's a lot of fun to kind of do and use out on the back patio uh you may not be aware of this but that is one of ethan becker's favorite grilling implements when he's got a small crowd um, I can see why. <laughs> yeah. And is uh, the place he had in Tennessee, he had an incomplete outdoor kitchen. And then he had one of those sitting on the counter. And when it was a small group, that was that was his go to grill. Yeah, I think I think you'd be or uh, 
if your if your people are patient enough for the food to come out pretty paced out the uh probably four four maybe six people is about as much as you can uh kind of make uh without other food getting cold but um yeah it's awesome it's a it's a two to four person grill setup but if you've got those numbers it's a phenomenal grill yeah and, and the the buck is outstanding on those yeah the um I really loved uh when we we took it up when we went uh camping up in Door County and uh we had the the frozen beef patties and they weren't all the quite all the way uh thawed out and uh we threw those on there and it got such a hard sear on the outside they weren't like completely cooked through and burnt by uh got a good sear on the outside cool so you want to talk about your uh, your next one there um this is an us thing I did not get to see you at Blade Show this year, but will I get to see you at Knife Toberfest? I uh, maybe uh, the chances are probably not that great. Uh, just having somebody to watch the boys and stuff, um, but we'll see. And we we're still kind of talking about it. I know Lee Lee was uh, Lee was trying to twist my arm pretty good to get me down there. But if you if you don't know about uh, Knife Toberfest, it's a big um, event down in. Uh, uh, Georgia, they're coming, Georgia. They're in coming, or is it Dawson? Um, Dawson County, coming, Georgia is the town. Okay. Um, but yeah, Old Town Cutlery is going to be having a, their Knife Toberfest uh, October tenth, and there's going to be a a ton of knife makers down there, including uh, the. I believe you're going to be there. I am. Um, I believe Mr. Hunt is going to. Todd Hunt's going to try to be there. So. Todd's usually there. Mark Hopper from uh, Hammer and Goat. Very cool. Who, I, I, he's the smith that I made my first knife with. And I think he has won on Fortune and Fire twice. Yeah. I think he won individually and then won on the Maker Apprentice Challenge. Yeah, that one was a, a great episode. Uh, all four of the, the smiths. I thought it was really cool how they had uh, the Master Smith start out and then... Uh, the apprentice had to do an hour and then the master Smith got to, to do the, the last hour of forging. I thought that was super cool. Like they weren't allowed to touch the hammers or anything. I thought that was a neat idea. Yeah. And he, uh, they will be there set up doing exhibitions. So it, it will be a, uh, it's going to be more than just knives. It'll be makers. It'll be knives. It'll be knife accessories. There's going to be a lot of, um, I think last year there was probably 10 or 15 factory reps there with giveaways, you know, kind of one day uh, pricing. Yeah. And then uh, I'm not a, a smoker, but apparently that, that uh, cigar shop next to them is pretty, pretty amazing too. It is. And, you know, I used to live in that area and I had to laugh that when I was doing woodworking, I built some of the displays in that cigar shop. Really? And now I have knives next door in the knife shop. It sounds like you need to build some displays in the knife shop, too. Uh, you know, Lee is a phenomenal woodworker. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I want to mess with that. I was just joking but with you. That little, that little shopping center is pretty amazing. It's a, a liquor store, a knife shop, a cigar shop, and a yoga studio. Oh, and a, a motorcycle supply shop. I mean, it is. you could spend your entire weekend right there and not go more than 100 feet. <laughs> that's pretty funny so it looks like your non-ferrous table saw blade finally died 
Yeah, moment of silence. Not just because you finally don't have to hear about this anymore, because I know you're getting a little sick of hearing about my non-ferrous metal blade. <laughs> That's all right. But we're we're at, what, four months now? That's um, pretty cool. I think it has lasted four months of carding, cutting Micarta, G10, you know, the old school Westinghouse, the new formulations. It was everything except for my my precision, like my bolster cuts and that sort of thing. It cut everything that went across my table saw. And I believe I have gotten four months out of it. Uh, I have ordered a replacement. I'm going to try a same style of blade, but it's formulated for ferrous metals. So the as I understand it, the, the carbides are a little, I believe, harder. Okay. So I want to run a comparison between this blade was set up for cutting aluminum, bronze, brass, that kind of stuff. The next blade I'm going to try is set up for cutting iron and steel. I want to see if there's a performance difference, but man, I have never had a circular saw blade. In this case, a, a 10 inch cabinet saw. Okay. I have never gotten this life out of a saw cutting, uh, cutting my car before. Yeah. Um, That's very good. I, I, up until this point, I was a blade a week and this one has lasted me for, I think, We'll have to check the archive, but I think four months. Very cool. I know you've been you've been mentioning it uh, in before the show quite a few times. So very cool. Glad it's uh, worked out for you. Uh, I am excited because I cannot tell you how many hundreds of dollars a month I was spending on saw blades. Yep. Yep. All right. You want to inter- introduce our our guest? She is a lady that needs no introduction. But I do so like the sound of my own voice. I will give a bit of an introduction to Blade Show. And I'm not exaggerating here. She is not someone associated with Blade Show. She is the Blade Show. Miss Alicia Newton. Well, that is that is a big accolade to live up to. <laughs> but I will take it. And thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I, I feel really confident in saying that you are the unsung hero behind Blade Show. Well, we have all seen what you do, but very few people know who you are and how much you do. And I am not just saying that because I'm trying to get a better booth this year. <laughs> yes. And, and you of all people probably know that, you know, have tried bribery with such things as chocolate and flowers that... None of those work. There's only one true and tried thing that works if you want a better booth space. Do not forget the promises I don't intend to keep. Okay. I was very free with those. (laughs) Yeah, Dan's great at volunteering you for stuff, too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it, it has been a process of experimentation. I mean, I learned from my failures as much as my successes. I now know the key to your heart. That and is that's true. not information I'm going to give up easily. No, you you shouldn't. <laughs> I think it should be the best kept secret. Absolutely. If for no other reason, then I don't need the competition. That's exactly right. <laughs> no. God, next, I'd have to grow a personality, and I just don't have time for that. <laughs> all right. So, Alicia, one of the first questions we ask all of our, our guests is, where did you grow up? Well, um, As Kyle and I have just recently discovered within the last week, we have grown up in the same hometown. So I grew up in the booming metropolis of Columbus, Indiana, population 
45,000 people probably. My extended family, including my parents and brother and families, et cetera, are all still there. It was actually a great place to grow up, and I'm very blessed to still be able to go home. Ironically, I still call it home, so people always look like, don't you live in Cincinnati? But for some reason, I always say I'm going home to Columbus, Indiana. So that is my childhood home and some a place still near and dear. Yeah, it's a super beautiful place. If if you, people have never been there, it's uh, uh, one of the one of the top ten places in the United States for architectural mm-hmm. uh, significance. It's a, a great great town. I know uh, you or I told you where I went to high school. Did you go to Columbus East or Columbus North? I went to Columbus East. Ah, and then uh, I know. So we're we're uh, <laughs> rivals. And then I. Um, oh. That's the show. Thanks for joining. <laughs> and then um, much to the chagrin of my parents, uh, headed up north to Purdue. Yeah, that's where I went too. Because they were both, um, uh, look at us. <laughs> and yeah, they were both Indiana University alumni. Again, another contested mm-hmm. rivalry. And uh, yeah, so I, I headed up north to Purdue and graduated college from there. And then... Um, like a lot of people that grow up in a small town, we like to spread our wings. And so um, jumped in my car and uh, told my mom and dad I was moving to Washington, D.C. for an unpaid internship. <laughs> Can unpaid. Imagine how proud they were. <laughs> yeah. Hey, great investment on you know, <laughs> that build up to the unpaid intern. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So I ended up in Washington D.C. and um, so what? What were you? What were you doing out there? I um, my aspirations have always been to be in anything sports related, anything outdoors. And for the vast majority of my career, with maybe a two year hiccup, has in fact been that. So yeah. So I moved out there to do an un- unpaid internship with a sports agency um, and did that and then moved into college athletics and worked in that for a couple of universities out there, then uh, did some other things and then ended up from there working in the ski and snowboard industry for an association. And we ran a large ski and snowboard show every year out in Las Vegas. So, hmm. so you had you, did you kind of always know you wanted to be in event stuff? Yes. Uh, ever since? Yeah. Well, not so much events. I just anything that was around sports and outdoors. I, I, I mean, I have worked Olympics. I've worked X Games. I've worked NCAA basketball tournaments. I've worked golf tournaments, professional golf tournaments, professional tennis tournaments, all of that. So any, you know, that combination of sports and, and events and and then basically when I left Washington, D.C., as I've just discovered, because thank God if we don't have Facebook, we wouldn't know what any of our memories are. But it has brought to, been brought to my attention that I it is this weekend, in fact, that I moved to Cincinnati 12 years ago. So, And we were all better for it. And we were all – Cincinnati was definitely better for it. So, so um, Blade shows about five years or five days. So yeah. with the other 100 and 360 days off, how are you able to balance that workload in your personal life? You know, it's um, kind of like you said, our, our team is very small on Blade. So with two Blade shows, I 
am very, definitely very busy year round. Um, it's kind of one of those things where, especially with Atlanta, the, you know, the day that it ends, it pretty much all starts right back over again. Um, and then, you know, you have Blade Show West in there. But I, luckily for me, prior to COVID, I was already working out of my home and have, that was a huge transition for me, considering probably the vast majority of my entire working career has been in an office setting. So that was a bit of transition getting used to working out of my home. You know, I have found that the beauty of working out of your home is your laptop can travel too. So working out of home can really mean working out of any place that your laptop can go. So Wow, I was going to say no showers. The, <laughs> you know, going places is awesome too. Yeah, you could you could grind knives from your uh, your fish shack, Dan. Yeah, exactly. If you do that, you would not be talking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it has that that has definitely afforded me um, some great opportunities to travel and still, which is something that I love to do. Which obviously COVID has put a huge um, well. Let me tell you about the great opportunities in Greenville, South Carolina. Apparently, I need to get back down to Greenville, as we've discussed. So Wait, back I, I have. You've been. Here I've been there. You didn't visit. Oh. I know. Uh, I'm I, late. I had no idea. All right, I'm I let it go just this once. I mean, if I could remember where all 950 of my exhibitors lived, my life would be so much easier. Yeah. Look, only two really matter. There's Kyle and me. True. The rest of them are just plus ones. Exactly. Yeah, if you ever make it up to Chicago, it would definitely get you some free pizza, some deep dish. Yeah, you know, I I feel like I have so many places to visit once I can, like, get back out there again. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So uh, what what was your first knife? Did Are you a a knife user, knife collector, or? You know, I wasn't. And and to be full, you know, fully honest, I, when I took the job at uh, F&W, which is the former owner of Blade, I was actually hired for a marketing position and the week before I started, they had a vacancy in their event department. They asked me if I would take that job instead and um, with trepidation, mainly because my experience at that time had been more on the uh, marketing public relations side of events as opposed to actually operationally running them. But I took on the challenge. And, um, so when I first started at F and W, I did not have the blade show, um, until my second year there and very quickly started to (laughs) first learn about, you know, running a trade show that size at that time, which was 2010, which is when I inherited the event. So, you know, other than maybe just having a knife that, you know, you buy, at a hardware store or, you know, at a Bass Pro or something like that, I didn't really have a collection. And ironically, one of my first knives was the granddaddy that um, Rodney Shelton made who helped kind of get Southern Grind knives started. And so to this day, I still have that knife in a box in my house. Um, That's pretty awesome. Yeah, they just had a small table at the time um, before they expanded to what they are now. Rodney, for me personally, was probably one of the first makers in 2010 that um, I got to know and really, you know, established a relationship with and was incredibly close with until, unfortunately, the day he went home to the good Lord above. So 
So, well, I guess we kind of covered how to get started. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's exactly. It, it was handed to me. And um, I just if you all can imagine when it was handed to me, a large, large, large sheet of paper with, I mean, massive sheet of paper that I would hang up on a wall. And this was before we had floor plan systems. And I would write every single one of the exhibitors on the top of the table or in the little booth. And if somebody moved, then literally I would just take the eraser of the pencil and erase the name and put the new name in. Wow. <laughs> it was it was the most painful thing. And you know, that was I have an ink at this point. You can't. Yes. It was and we were just in hall A, B, and C at that point. We had but we still had, you know, we still had probably close to three hundred it was still a decent sized show, but we were just in hall A, B, and C. We hadn't even encroached on D yet. Wow. And um, yeah, so there was, I still have those floor plans just for nostalgic purposes only of all my handwriting on them with, I think, you know, lots of eraser marks. <laughs> I think my first blade show, they still had the black curtain down one side. It would have been Hall C, yes. Yeah, because it hadn't fully expanded, and there were yes. demos over on that side. Yes. Wow. I didn't... We did. And then it slowly started to go into D, so that curtain was still there as we started to build a little bit more until it finally hit the wall, you know, in Hall D. <laughs> I, I remember in 2012 when that was the first Blade show that I ever went to, uh, met Dan for the first time when he was an apprentice. And yeah, that was there was like the big black curtain there. And then Dylan Fletcher had just been on top shot. So he was doing like a giveaway thing. There was a bunch of different uh, makers that were kind of hosting lotteries and stuff kind of back behind mm-hmm. the the black curtain there. And because uh, yeah, uh, Boosie ruined the whole raffle on the floor thing. Oh, I, I watched somebody like multiple people like slug it out over some of those business cards in 2012. They were still throwing them out. Yes. Uh, it was- At least you do not have to comment on this, but I would have in the early Blade Show. I would have hated to have a booth next to him because you would have zero business because of the massive mob of angry people trying to get in on the raffles. Yes, I and that was I will definitely say that was like a huge. Um, you know, I respect them obviously for you know doing a great job and using the trade show, but it, it did from a. For me, from an operational standpoint, it definitely created logistics that we had to keep working with them to, you know, create a space. Kudos that they brought thousands of people in. But, yeah, y'all did a phenomenal job of moving the, the raffles off the floor so that yes. so that the exhibitors around them could actually do some business. Yes. And, you know, and to that avail, you know, I think that's something that's changed, too, over the course of time as you have the beep beep lotteries and all those things now. because it has gotten to the point where it just is, it's already so crazy on that show floor. It's so chaotic. And let's be real. Nobody wants the fire marshal to come into a show. That's just no good for anybody. So that's usually my kind of, here's the situation. We either need to come up with the solution or the fire marshal is going to come in and shut you down. And that won't be fun for any of us. So yeah, I was really glad when I, heard that I think it was Lucas Burnley was the kind of one of the first people to kind of come up with that mm-hmm. uh, beep beep lottery thing. And 
I've I've entered a few of those those things and I was lucky enough to get uh, called one. You just put your name down and they call and you have 10 minutes to get to their table or whatever. And um, then they go to the next person. So you don't have a, you can actually talk with a maker and that's pretty cool. Actually get to see them a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, I think to me, it's another great idea of, and Lucas Burnley is a great name to bring up. And actually Lucas Burnley is someone that I've, somebody that I really, whose input I also value and it's, you know, spent hours and hours and hours over the years, you know, talking to him because he does obviously bring a lot of great ideas and suggestions. And I think a lot of people make the assumption that, you know, the blade show is just about us, but it's not, it's about the makers. It's about the community. And we want to make sure that we are also evolving the show to, not just for our purposes, but also that it suits what the makers and, and the community want as well. So I think that's, that's super important. And you're right. Lucas kind of came up with that concept of the beep beep. Other makers started to tap into that. And it was, it's a brilliant idea because it really does help manage the flow of people on the show floor. As Blade Show kind of evolves and is its own entity, y'all, y'all have got a couple other shows and, I've been impressed that you each one's got its own personality. Uh, mm-hmm. Where does that come from? I mean, you, you started with with Blade Show, and that's got to have a pretty strong imprint. But you're you're finding inspiration to give like Blade Show West its own its own distinct feel. And it is, and you know what? It's funny. We have learned. Um, that's a great question, Dan. We have learned over the years. You know, when we had some other brands within our portfolio back at FW Media, you know, we had Living Ready, we had um, kind of the survival community as well. We tried to integrate those into the Atlantis show, and they just really weren't well received. And as we, as time and time has gone on, we really, and especially in the last two to three years, have taken a really hard look at making sure that Atlanta is truly a knife show. Like we, you're, you have a knife product, you have a knife accessory. You truly are, your portfolio of products is mostly knife or knife related. So that what that then created was an opportunity to go out West and some of those survival companies, bushcraft companies, living ready companies, you know, that Portland by going to blade show West was a great area to integrate some of those in. And then, as you well know, last year, we really started to focus on the culinary side because that the chef side of knife making is just crazy. And Portland's a foodie town, and we introduced the Chef Knife Cutting Championships. And, you know, our goal is we didn't want to just take Blade Atlanta, basically move it out to Portland and be the same footprint. We wanted to make it its own identity, its own show. I think a lot of people realize the Blade Show Atlanta, that it is the largest show and people come from all over the world, but there still is a lot of people from the Pacific Northwest that don't exhibit or come to the Atlanta show for various reasons. Uh, Wingman 115, Blade Mama, Andy Tran, I think he's Interbark. A lot of those guys, especially that have day jobs, can't make the trip to Atlanta, but they can make the trip to Portland or on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And it, it opens up the show a little bit for a wider audience. It does. Just the logistics of getting all the 
especially if you're like displaying knives. I mean, even if you have a small table like I do, I still have like a whole two wheel cart full of stuff to, that I bring. So I have like most of my the back of my truck full. So just the logistics of try or if you you pretty much have to fly if you're on the the West Coast and uh, just that lo- the logistics, everything makes it a lot harder. Being constantly within driving distance, relatively easy driving distance of Atlanta on the East Coast. I really didn't appreciate how fortunate I was until I looked at the logistics of taking everything for Blade Show West last year. How much more of a commitment that was. I mean, that completely changed my numbers for the show. So it seems to me that it is a great opportunity for some of the makers that, especially the custom guys, that have to be a little more aware of their margins. It's a Mm -hmm. great chance to see some makers that you might not be able to get on the the East Coast show. Exactly. And that was our thought, too. And then some of the factory guys, I mean, you've got a hotbed of, you know, manufacturers in that Portland area. But, you know, the other part of it is it's an opportunity for a lot of those manufacturers. Again, like we just said, in California, Washington, Oregon, they all don't come to Blade Atlanta. There's a significant cost for them. So now this is an opportunity for them to get their product in front of um, a region of the country that they're maybe not always in front of. Very cool. So we talked to talked a little bit about Blade Show. Can you give us a little background of how Blade Show started and when it started? I sure can. So the first, <laughs> we did even counted today because we had a little bit of a panic, but the first uh, Blade Show actually took place in 1982, ironically, in Cincinnati. Um, really? So yeah, technically Erlinger, Kentucky, but they called it Cincinnati because as I know, living here, nobody knows where Erlingen, you know, just like we call Cincinnati Airport, you know, the Cincinnati Airport, but it's technically in Northern Kentucky. So the first two years were actually in Cincinnati. And then the show moved to Knoxville in 1984. Okay. And then it was run there. And then in 1992, when it was purchased from Krause, it uh, moved to Atlanta, and ironically, so it was first in the Waverly Ballroom for two years that you got, you know, the Waverly that you all stay at, and then it technically this would have been our 25th year at the actual Cobb Galleria this year had we had it. So Cobb Galleria has hosted it for the past 25 years. Wow, that's a pretty strong lineage. Yes, aren't you impressed with my vast knowledge of? <laughs> I am. And I've been working with a Smith for six weeks. And he's like, hey, this thing Blade Show is coming up and you need to go check it out. I'm like, okay. And fortunately, just as like a passing thought, he goes, um, and you, you're going to want to think about parking. I'm like, I've been to the Galleria. There's lots of parking. Oh, I was not prepared. I mean, yeah. the analogy of trying to drink from a fire hose really works. Like when I couldn't find parking around the Galleria, I'm like, hey, wow, this is really something. I, and I think I spent the entire day. And when I came back, he said, how was it? I said, I don't think I saw it all. Yes. Yeah. It was it was completely yeah. overwhelming when I went in 2012 the first time. And it was uh, it was maybe like three quarters of the, I guess that's. Yeah, but 2012, yeah, yeah we were probably just. Almost, we were definitely in Hall D 
but maybe not all the way to the wall yet. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to go look at my paper floor plants. <laughs> there was still a black curtain back then, but it was okay. really there was not much of one. Right. So unless my numbers are off, we're coming up on the 40th anniversary. We are, in fact, coming up on the 40th. And um, so giant cake, dancing girls. What, exactly. For the 40th. We were kind of hoping you would jump out of the cake for us. Um, <laughs> for the record, I have lost half a pound. So I think I can get into my G string. Just saying I've got some availability. Oh man. We may not put that as a promotional um marketing piece since we I want people to come for the play show next year. Too much. I mean you don't want to sell out on the first day. I, I understand. Right. But right. there'll be something special we do on Sunday. Just, you know, kind of yeah, the exactly. crowd. Yeah. Exactly. I like it. If you wanna if you wanna yeah. see that hit Dan up in the pit. Yes. <laughs> Remember, fold those dollar bills lengthwise. Exactly. Oh man. Um yes, we are. We're very excited. We feel like um, you know, unfortunately, as we all know, we you know, we didn't get to have the show this year. So what better even, you know, better opportunity next year with the 40th to just be epic and um yeah, we are definitely working on some stuff. We don't want to give away, you know, if we give everything away, then what can we talk about? Would it so, be too bold to use the word extravaganza? I like that. I like that. You know, we've we've gotten to the point where we don't even refer to Blade Show as a as a show, we refer to it as an experience. You guys are obviously seasoned attendees now and participants and exhibitors, but as anyone will tell you, coming to the Blade Show is just not about walking up and down the aisles. You know, it's an opportunity to rub elbows with the best of the best in the business. It's an opportunity to take a class, you know, for a very nominal fee with, again, the the forefathers, the legends, the guys that, you know, made knife making what it is today. It's, you know, the Blade World Cutting Championships and the Ballet Song Competition and, you know, all that stuff is is throughout the weekend. And so it's more about just coming to a show. It really is an experience. And then you add the social element, you know, in the evening. And it's really just, it's an awesome weekend for anybody that has a passion for knives. <laughs> One of the many things that I like about it is you can only get so much information from reputation or seeing a knife online. It's a chance you can come up to my booth and you can you can hold it in your hand. You can see how it feels. You can feel the balance. And then you can go to Kyle's booth or the Fiddleback booth or any any number of really phenomenal makers. And you can mm-hmm. you can actually do a little side by side comparison. You can put your hands on knives that it's the one weekend out of the year. At no other point in the year mm-hmm. will you ever be able to pick up that many knives from that many makers and really get a, a, a feel for what you're buying before you buy it. Apart from, you know, like you said, the chance in the pit to, it's a chance to actually talk to the makers. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You can get to know them. If there's questions you wanted to ask, it's a chance to get in front of them and get that information. But for me, I'm, I'm really blown away with the opportunity of the really wide variety of knives that you can actually get in your hand and sales then are one thing, but 
the number of people that will contact me six months afterwards that mm -hmm. are like, all right, I got to hold those three models and this is the one that was most comfortable in my hand and I'm ready to order. So it's a chance for you to compare five or six different things and see what feels right to you. And short of making an appointment and going all over the country to five different makers shops, it's the only chance you get to do that. I had it a couple of times with people that uh, contacted me three, three, six months after the show that they ran to one of their other makers. And they said, I, I honestly didn't think that I'd ever have an opportunity to get one of their knives and uh, happened to, I spent all my money the first, <laughs> the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude, that's why I take credit cards. You got to yeah. take credit cards. Man. Well, I take credit cards too, but they, they didn't apparently want to spend any more money with their, their credit cards. And the other thing that's so amazing about having blade show is uh, for uh, the maker side of it, actually exhibiting, you have all your knives there set out. And my table was right next to the K bar booth and got Ethan Becker to come over and he handled a half dozen of my, my kitchen knives and said, uh, I really like this. I don't, don't like this so much. This is kind of a personal preference. Have you considered doing this and, uh, having somebody with that much experience and, uh, a lot of other makers, Dan's looked at a bunch of my knives, the uh, Andy Roy, those guys just getting that, uh, that feedback and them saying, hold it like this, hold it like that. Look at it down this way. Uh, see how your grind wasn't quite, uh, even there. Just, uh, you gotta be, you gotta have people that are brutally honest. The people that just come by your table and just say, yeah, everything looks great. And you're like, well, I kind of want to get better, but. You know, I've got to give you my, my most soul crushing, brutal interaction with a knife maker. That was actually a great day for me. I think it was my first or second blade show. A uh, friend of a friend introduces me to Chris Reeves and I'm a little, I'm, I'm stumbling over my tongue. You know, here we are. And you know, the, the interaction starts to close and I, I, I'm very sincere when I look at him and I apologize. I'm like, look, I am sorry for doing this to you, but I can't say that I met you and didn't ask your opinion. And I handed him one of the knives I was carrying and he kind of goes over it and he gives it the standard, you know, the quarter check. He checks the grinds, checks the symmetry, the plunge line. And he just kind of offhanded. He's like, what steel is this? And I said, oh, one. And he just freezes and looks at me and just tears me apart. Th that steel's over 100 years old. Why are you using this, this old steel? You're driving a Model T when you could have a Ferrari, you know, particle steels, and just tears me apart and then leaves. And my friend is really apologetic. He's like, hey, man, I am so sorry. I'm like, dude, Chris Reeves just checked out one of my knives, and the only complaint he had was the steel. I can fix that on Monday. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> and I think, you know what? It's funny. Both of you guys just brought up really great points about the beauty of Blade Show that people sometimes lose sight of is, one, Dan, like you said, it's, it's an opportunity where – it's not about just showing up to show your knives right there. And then it's the relationships that you're forming with customers that you're introducing your brand to that maybe somebody that's never seen your brand before. And like you said, they may not make the sale there, but three months down the road, they remembered you. And I think a lot of exhibitors, especially new exhibitors get so caught up in just selling the knives that they brought they're not taking advantage of engaging customers when they walk by. They just sit at their table 
hope somebody will stumble across from them. They're on their phone, whatever the case may be. But it's, you know, hey, just because that person walked away and didn't buy your knife, that doesn't mean you've lost a sale. So, you know, that's, I think, one of probably the biggest mistake, especially new exhibitors make. And the to the point that Kyle just made as well, if you guys think about it, where else in an industry, like you guys are all set up as exhibitors. And in, in theory, you're all competing for dollars. But yet the vast amount of guys in this industry that are willing to share their knowledge, to share their skills, to share their insights, their recommendations, to make you guys better knife makers, that's very rare to find that. And that's something that is definitely um, a positive in the knife community. And so it's not just a trade show. There's just so much more about blade show. If you're willing to listen, the amount of knowledge that you can get mm-hmm. a few days at blade show. And I picked it up from Ethan and he used to, if when I, when he first looked at one of my knives, he said, all right, do you want me to tell you what I like about this? Or do you want me to critique it? And if you're willing to take the critique, arguably the world's, best knife makers are all in one place for three days. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to take the critique, you can have quite, not just arguably, literally some of the world's best makers review your work and let you know what you could do better, what you're doing right. And the stuff that they do better, they probably have a way they can say, not only work, not only fix this, but here's four ways to fix it. Yeah. That was one of the things I was excited about with the uh, the Blade Show West thing, where uh, you guys had like time slots that you could buy a ticket and have your your knife or two knives uh, looked at by a panel of different knife makers and talk to them about it. Uh, I was excited that you guys were going to try that for the Atlanta show this year. That would be awesome. I saw there were were tickets available, but didn't uh, didn't happen. But. Yeah, I know. Blade Show didn't happen this year, but we're going to be okay, buddy. Yeah. The 40th anniversary is going to be twice as much show. It's going to be even better. Yeah. I've heard it's going to be six days. It, it's exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it, I will say to the point that there was no Blade Show. It was definitely, it was a, it was a tough decision um, for us to make. Clearly, since we waited, we held out as long as we could. But, um, you know, we got to a point where it was almost in my mind having the blade show would have actually, I think hurt the reputation of the show and the brand more, you know, if you would have had first time attendees that came and yes, everybody I think would have been understanding that COVID was present. However, there was just, you know, the perception that media had painted with everything going on in the Atlanta area. And the last thing we wanted to happen was exhibitor spin you know, money on travel and plane tickets and exhibit fees. And, you know, maybe a thousand people would have showed up. We have zero indication how many people would have showed up. Yeah. And that's all sold. You don't know how many people would have shown up. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, blade show, we would have, people would have looked back and it would have been like the blade show with the black X through it. And (laughs) we, we didn't want that. You know, we just, we didn't want that. Blade Show has always just been an amazing, like we've all said, it's an amazing weekend experience. And 
I'm sure all of us go home at the end of the day, we're exhausted, we're tired, but we're like, wow, that went fast. We would have all been staring at each other across the aisles being like, okay, an hour's passed. Now an hour and a half has passed. <laughs> now two hours. You know, they we were, just, we really... said there would be people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was thinking that's what someone could have thought. Not me. I wouldn't have. Yeah. And my worst nightmare was a 75-year-old man, you know, cursing me out for telling him he had to put a mask on. I just, those nightmares became really just too much for me. So we talked a little bit about how it's grown over the years. Mm-hmm. So first of all, that doesn't happen accidentally, but also growth has got to be managed. You can, you can grow too quickly and just implode under your own weight. How have y'all managed the growth of the show to keep it healthy, but continuing to expand? You know, most of that, like we said, has been when we expand into space, you kind of expand and then you create this, this threshold of what basically has become the wait list. And you, we've gotten to the point where as we've expanded into completely maxing out and as probably Dan knows and even Kyle, you know, the Blade Show, the year that we decided to completely redo the main hall in terms of how we did a layout was was brilliant as well because one, it allowed us to maximize even more space. And it really just allowed when you come in that room now, you see all the tables to the right, all the booths to the left. And aesthetically, it just makes it an easier experience for the customer as opposed to having tables sprinkled in and outside of booths. Um, So basically what happens then when we decided to add the ballroom, again, you have to come up with a number that when that wait list gets to a certain number, then that's when you start to expand the space because you don't want to create space. And then we have 25 people in the ballroom. That would have been terrible. Yeah, you, you don't want empty tables. No. So it it really is a numbers game. You know, believe it or not, this year, going pre-COVID, before everything hit in March, our our wait list was um, 90 people to to get into the Blade Show. Look, is this pressuring me to get my paperwork in two hours before the deadline? (laughs) I'll do that. That's what it takes. But Are um, Are you letting me know that I'm not a sure thing until I'm a sure thing? Exactly. Well, I will say it does help us put the gauntlet down um, in the past to be like, if you guys, you know, unfortunately, it's not that we're trying to be, you know, dictators, if you will, but (laughs) it is, you know, we've got this extensive wait list of people that want to come. And when people don't turn their stuff in or pay or any of those types of things, you know, we've got a wait list of guys that are ready to be there and you kind of want to reward that so and they're willing to get into line yeah but in terms of the growth you know we people have asked us time and time and time and time again are you going to move it out of atlanta which we won't do are you going to move it to the george world world congress center i can say for the very foreseeable future we won't for various reasons just like you said you become it becomes very cavernous when you go over to the Georgia World Congress Center and well and there's an awesome hotel and there's the pit. I mean, you don't have the pit at the Georgia World. You're not gonna have the pit there. You're not gonna have you're not gonna have a lot of the things that you can walk to. You know, even the baseball stadium being put up next door, people have 
had some concerns about that, but really that's brought a host of all new restaurants, you know, that people can walk to. And really, once you get to the Cobb for the weekend, you really don't need to get in a car again. You know, with the walkway going over to the other hotels on the farther side that are mm-hmm. then lead into the Browery, or Bowery, mm-hmm. that really does open up. You're a short walk to your hotel room, and then you're a short walk to 15 or 20 restaurants. Right. Exactly. So, um, you know, and I mean, to be honest with you, I think all all of us are not, you know, what certain what 2021 is going to look like. It's going to be. And um, I just mean in terms of, you know, I know a lot of the guys that have done knife making and things like that. They, for whatever reason, they may not be able to come in 2021 for various reasons because of the impact of what's happened this year. So, you know, Cobb has been a, it's been a great home and yeah, we, we definitely are, are using every inch possible, but I think the, the alternative of going to Georgia world Congress center will not be pleasing for people. No. And on the financial side, I'm the advice Kyle can attest that this is the advice I gave him and anyone that is thinking about trying to get in at blade show. I have told them that if you break even, that's a home run. Mm-hmm. The amount of exposure that you get, the advertising value that you get, if, if sales on the table or a, should be a fraction of your concern. If you sell enough to break even on the show, then you've knocked it out of the park. Because the amount of advertising value you get, the amount of FaceTime that you get with other people, with, with potential customers... And Kyle and I both talked about that I'll see somebody at Blade Show and they'll order a knife six months later. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to interact with people that are so much better than me, that can give me feedback and help me grow as a maker. You know, if if you can make the numbers at all work, it's to your advantage. Absolutely. Yeah, I've I've told a lot of people that um, especially like I, I... I went in with uh, low expectations on sales and stuff and uh, did pretty well. But I, I tell people if you're if you're spending like all of your reserve money and like uh, don't have any any money left over, you probably should wait for Blade Show. But like I always try to go in. Everything's paid off. I'm not counting uh, counting on selling 10 or 15 blades to pay my expenses back. Don't spend the rent money to get to Blade Show. but. If you can afford to break even or lose a little bit of money on the show, if you look at it over a year, it'll be it'll be a success. Yeah. And I think that's great advice for for you guys to give and for new exhibitors to hear because I mean the reality is, you know, yes, we have an extensive wait list, but at the same token, we lose a good 80 probably exhibitors a year for that very reason. They come in I think with high expectations that it's the biggest knife show. But you also have to put into perspective, you're in a room with 949 other competitors for your money, for, you know, customers money. And you have to come in with that, your eyes wide open. And you're in a room with men that have been doing this for 45 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people that have humongous social media followings and now with Forged and Fire and stuff, there was, there was a person that was like, not right behind me, but like one table over, they were or fortune fire guides that I had like never heard of them. And they put out like 
80 to 100 knives on the table and they were all gone in 20 minutes from the start of the show, like in the early bird. And I was like competing against somebody that has a podcast. And what chance do you have against somebody like that? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but yeah, kind of talking in that same, that same realm. uh, I know it, it was like 2016, I think was when I brought some of my first knives to, to blade show that I showed to Dan and uh, a bunch of the knife makers that I, that I knew. And uh, Dan was like, dude, you need to get on the wait list for, uh, getting a table and stuff. And it, it wasn't until 2018 that I decided to finally pull the trigger and even submit my, my application. And I'd had no idea. How do you, how do you vet people for first time exhibitors? Is there anything that you look for in particular? You said you have a wait list. Is there anything that kind of helps pick one over another or? There's not so much one. I mean, I personally try to do everything very, very matter of fact, very by the book, if you will, because I feel like that's the only way to to run this show and run this business. And that way, if you're ever questioned, you know, it's the same thing we do with even our move list. You know, we get tons of people that start out with a table, want to upgrade to a booth, or they want to move more closer to the front. And all of those decisions are solely based on years attending. Um, that's it. It's not based on about my years attending. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And that makes it very, that way, if everyone ever says to you, well, why do they get to move? They've been coming for 10 years. You've been coming for four. So, um, it may, it's a very matter of fact, um, same thing with the wait list. It really is just about, you know, once we get the, once we get to a point where the wait list is, you know, if someone cancels, if someone is unable to attend, I basically just go to the next person who sent their contract in on that, you know, that date. So if someone turned the contract in on March, they're going to get placed before the person that turned it in on April. We can edit this out if it's a, Uh, an awkward question, but, um, as you build each show, are there, are there things you're looking for? Is it, if you make backpacks versus if you make knives or sheaths or Or cutting, cutting boards or yeah. Right. We, we definitely know that's a, that's a good question. And we are, we are trying to definitely, as you can imagine, we get a lot of peripheral type products we get, or you even get, we get gutter companies before, but you know, we really, we really, right, I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> well, because they're thinking huge show, you know, all these men are going to be there and blah, people blah, blah, need blah, gutters and people need gutters. So, yeah. you know, but no, wake up and we, want every morning. So, right. So, you know, we do in the last two years, we have gotten even more, diligent about, um, we don't even put the contract on the website. Now you have to reach out to us. We go online. We, you need to send us pictures of your knives or, you know, social media or a website so that we can really make sure that you're somebody that is doing this and has a product that is knife related. And the vast majority of your product line is you know, knife related. We do have some companies that are clearly still at the blade show that probably now wouldn't make the cut, but that's okay. We would, we're never going to, you know, you tell someone they can't. yeah, we've honored that. And, um, but there's also some great, I think there are some great companies that are part of the blade show that augment the show very well. VanQuest is a great example. 
Do they make an actual knife? No. Does 75% of the knife community probably have one of their products? Absolutely. So, you know, there, there are some exceptions to the rule, but we try to make the best decision. But right now, over the last two years, we've definitely solely focused more on having knife, knife related products, grinders. We've got a lot of grinding companies that have really come on board in the last two years. Um, tabletop grinders, those types of things. So yes, there is definitely a vetting process that has become more part of the procedure now. So, so if you've kind of, as, you, as you've shepherded, as you've kind of overseen Blade Show as it's, it's evolved, what are some of the changes that really stood out to you? Um, other than the, the stunningly attractive knife makers that started in the Exactly. 2000s. You know, I have to, to be honest, I, I really, every year, we have, no joke, finished the show and said that was the biggest show yet. And I'm always surprised that we can say that because I, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, there's got to be like, there's got to be a threshold that we're going to hit. And I keep waiting that we're going to hit that threshold, but it's it hasn't been hit, which I'm extremely excited about. And it's obviously created us from an operational procedural standpoint to put a lot more thought into how everything's done. I mean, I actually now go down to Atlanta usually three or four months in advance of the June show and meet with my decorator. I meet with our security team. I meet with the Cobb team. We are mapping out line strategies. We're mapping out placement of tickets. We're mapping out all those types of things. And um, that's really just happened within the last two years because in 2019, you know, we had lines going down the door, out the door, down the stairs, around the block, down US 41, crazy lines. So, you know, we're constantly just trying to come up with more ways to really ease the flow of people coming in and, and making it manageable and a, a better experience for, for exhibitors and attendees. And as the show continues to grow, you know, that's where the logistics um, will really start to be fine-tuned. <laughs> the two things that hit me is one Saturday – because Friday, I'm already set up. I never see the line mm-hmm. for Friday. But Saturday, when I come to set up, every year, there's a new fold to the line. Like, I'll come in, and this is hours ahead of the show actually opening. Just when I go in to set up my booth, and every year, it seems like the line has folded over itself again. The last two years that I've been, there have been people standing in line when I get there at, like, 10 o'clock in the morning to start setting up on Thursday. There are. And um, there's people that camp overnight. Yeah. And I am so flattered is a maker. They're not actually there to see me. I'm, I'm, I'm a small fish in a very large pond, but just as a maker, I am so flattered to see somebody so dedicated to the craft that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. They're willing to put that much effort that they're going to come that early for the opportunity it's it's one of the greatest compliments I could get. It's really amazing to watch and to be a part of. And, you know, it's, it's a weekend that is grueling for all of us, but I wouldn't change anything in the world, world about it. And I think the greatest honor for me is 
I get to host something that people are so passionate about. You know, I'm a part of putting on an event that people literally year round look forward to, to coming to be with their friends, to meet new friends, to, to see old friends. It's a reunion. It's like you said, it's a sharing of knowledge. It's meeting new customers. It's an opportunity for people to showcase their hard work that they're passionate about. And um, I think anybody that would listen to this podcast would say people are not in the business of knife making to be multimillionaires. They do it because they love it and they're passionate about it. So that, you know, it really is a blessing for me to be able to stage this event and watch all that unfold over the weekend. And just um, the appreciation, you know, I've, uh, with maybe the exception of this year in COVID, but I can honestly say that over all my years, I have had more people come up and just say thank you than any amount of complaints that I've ever received. Not saying I haven't received complaints, but I'm just saying the amount of thank yous for everything you guys have done this weekend far outweighs the complaints. And that speaks volumes about the personality and the type of you know people that knife makers are. We've talked about how it's changed every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the surprises? Like, what are some of the things that on Sunday you're rocked back on your heels? You're like, oof, I didn't see that coming. Um, funny story. I did make the mistake about three years ago of saying, all right, team, we are in the last 15 minutes. We are on the <laughs> home stretch. We have got this made. <laughs> Never made that mistake again. Needless to say, on the radio, I get a call (laughs) to immediately report to a booth because a young 15-year-old... EMS? I'm sorry, what? This involved EMS. It did. A young 15-year-old boy had decided to remove a long sword from its sheath. And as he pulled that long sword out too quickly, he literally pulled it right up the skin of his forearm and ripped all that. So blood is, you know, of course going everywhere. And yeah, that was the last time I ever make a statement. We're on the home stretch (laughs) because you never know what can happen in the last 20 minutes of a blade show. That's why I have a strong, you bleed on it, you buy it policy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up, yes, EMT, fire trucks, ambulance, everybody comes. So. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. At the end of the show, I'm always amazed too. Like, it takes like the entire day for everybody to set up, and the whole show is basically down <laughs> in like two hours. Yeah. Like, like almost everybody's out of there in the first 30 minutes, like all the it table is. stuff. And it's just like, well, I. On Thursday, you have your whole weekend ahead of you. On mm-hmm. Sunday, you have like four hours. Yeah. Right. Well, and part of it is Thursday, let's be real. You've got people setting up, but then somebody walks by and you start talking to them and then somebody else walks by and then you see somebody else. And so it does, it takes a lot longer to set up because you're probably talking and networking just as much. Whereas Sunday, everybody is ready to go Mm -hmm. (laughs) as much as they love everyone. They are ready to hit the road. Maybe you're trying to get there before your former mentor writes something really offensive <laughs> on your booth sign. You know who I'm talking about. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so Blade Show West. Um, arguably, it's a new show, but it's kind of not a new show. It's got some history behind it. 
um, how long has it been running? Is it kind of a continuous thing? Because if I remember, if I understand correctly, it was it was more of a, a revisioning of an older show. Um, Am I confused? That happens sometimes. It's not. You're not so much confused. Blade Show West again. So when I took over Blade Show Atlanta, Blade Show West took place in 2009, and as I started to look at kind of the economics, the PL side of that. Um, I said, we need to, we need to personally stop Blade Show West right now. I think the demise of Blade Show West was it kept moving from city to city, from stale, you know, ho- hotel ballroom to stale hotel, hotel ballroom in different cities. And that's the kiss of death for any show. If you want a show to you know, have legs and get some growth. You have to let it sit in a city. So we did an extensive survey. We spent a lot of time back in 2017 um, looking at subscriber base and everything else. And I said, if we're going to open a show in a new area, we need to go into a convention hall space right out of the gate and we need to brand it and we need to make it look like Hey, these guys are built, w- wanting to build something that's going to not just keep moving around and and what have you. So that was behind. So I don't know that it. Yes, Blade Show West in name existed, but never like what we built in Portland. How long has Blade Show West been going? It's uh, one or it's it was, like, this would have been its third year. Okay, and it's so. It would have been its third year. 2009 was the last time, quote unquote, Blade Show West took place. So 2018 was the first year. Last year was the second year. And this would have been our third year. And, and the distinctly different feel, is that is that an, an intentional thing or was that just kind of an organic, it's a new place, it's a new thing? No, we intentionally wanted to make Blade Show West not feel like a smaller Blade Show Atlanta. We didn't, we didn't really want to you know, create a comparison because it's not. And that's why we did want to give it some of its own identity and allow some different products um, into Blade Show West. You know, Fiberlight Starters was a part of Blade Show West and they they were a huge hit with the attendees and they had a very successful show. And oh, it's yeah, well, and it's a great, it is a, it's a great product, but it's, we're in the right area um, geographically for that product to resonate with, our customers, you know what I'm saying? So, and I'm not saying it wouldn't resonate in Atlanta, but we we definitely found, again, when we tried to do some of the living ready tactical stuff, um, when we did the tactical gear and some of that stuff, it just, the, the knife community in terms of attendees, they were just like, no, we want knives. Yeah. We want knives. Which every fine individual was. I mean, you either want knives or you're wrong. That's completely <laughs> understandable. So, you know, but we could, you know, there's some elements that we wanted to do at Blade Show West. And that helps, you know, because there are some people that, you know, hey, if you do go to Atlanta, you know, make sure you do come check out West because you're not going to see these guys at the Atlanta show or you're not going to see these makers at the Atlanta show. So it also creates a marketing opportunity. Earlier, I joked that Blade Show is five days out of the year. So you take another 360 off. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not the case. So what does it take to make Blade Show happen? What's the, what's the 360 days that we don't see? Um, it's a lot of Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> oh. 
It's, You're so no. exciting. Tell me more. Yeah, it's, you know what, a lot of the stuff, quite honestly, a lot of the stuff that I do do behind the scenes is would certainly not anything like engaging for your, for your listener. You know, it's a lot of floor plans. It's a lot of logistics in terms of room sets. It's a lot of lining up vendors. Uh, and I don't mean like you guys, I mean, vendors for the, the outdoor events that happen, you know, bleachers and the tents and working with our hotel partners and, you know, managing growth. And one thing I think that's important for people to also understand, I know, unfortunately, and maybe this will help explain to the people that are listening, you know, when we put exhibitor list on our website, it's kind of a catch 22 because we do want to promote you guys. We want to put your websites up there. Unfortunately, we're in a day and age where there's companies out there that can pull that you know, pull that information off and then do their spam damage. And that's cost, you know, caused us a lot of frustration. But we just need people to understand that Blade Show itself probably only sends about eight emails out a year in the grand scheme of things from show to show. And all of those are very important information that you guys as exhibitors need to have. So it's disheartening to hear that, you know, we we get so many emails and I'm like, unfortunately you don't, they're all spam now and we can't stop them. But I think the biggest important lesson here is unless it really has blade, blade show, something like that specific in the email, it is spam, block it, delete it and continue to do that. (laughs) If it's not from blade show, the blade show.com. Or Blade Show Management, because we have another system that we use. Oh. But yes, it will have Blade Show in the, the email address and it'll be the official communication. Everything else will always be a spam. It won't have those words in it, and it will always be a spam mail. So most of the seasoned veterans all know that now, but somebody maybe like Kyle, who's only has two years under his belt, you know, he may see, oh, they, this guy said they're the official hotel provider. I need to book my room. And then they find out it's not. <laughs> and I should know that, but I still send the, hey, is this y'all? And I get the, for the love of God, I have told you the last 15 times. No. Yeah. Well, that the last one that I got just a, like a week ago when I messaged you, it actually said like Blade Convention or conventioner or conventioners and i was that was that was like the the like usually i can see that it's kind of spam right from the get-go but that one actually like used enough of the kind of your same design aspects that i was like uh which is tough they and, and it is they can do that you know and you just it's impossible we can't stop them all we can continue to do is educate our exhibitors and which we try to do and let them know that's why I wait until I get the letter. Once you send me the letter, then I know it's legitimate. Right. <laughs> so, um, obviously, the most important rule to a good show is don't piss off Alicia. I mean, that that's the first rule. That's the last rule. That's really all you need to know. But on the off chance, there was like a little subscript on that. Let's go with the top 10 do's. If you've got a brand new year one exhibitor and you had the chance to go, hey, here's a way to not mess it up, what would you tell them? 
I don't know that I could rifle off 10 things to you, but I would say a couple of things for sure is when you come to the show, don't just sit at your table and, you know, be on your phone, be on your iPad, you know, especially as a new knife maker, you need to engage customers. You need to, to speak to everybody that's going by. You need to make eye contact. And to the point we've made several times earlier in this conversation, it may not result in a sale right then and there, but it could down the road. If you have social media, you know, we highly encourage you to promote, you know, Blade Show spends thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars marketing this event, driving attendees to this event. But there's even thousands of other customers out there that you all have a connection with. So, you know, it, I, we say it's very important, like engage your own customer base because if everybody engages their own customer base, that brings even more people in the door, which in turn might introduce a new customer to somebody. And y'all provide some graphics and that sort of stuff that are just we do. click and drop we do. for your social media post. Right. And we've started creating for new exhibitors kind of a marketing 101, obviously with you guys so, not for, being new exhibitors. For just example, just hypothetically, say you're an older exhib- exhibitor that's pretty incompetent. Or technically challenged. Yeah, or that. Or the guy that does the editing doesn't help a brother out. Uh, where hey, I made you. I made you a graphic with your booth number on it. Oh, you did, and that was awesome. And I <laughs> so totally owe you a cap art for that. <laughs> um, but just say this hypothetical incompetent marketer wanted to find some of those resources. Where would they get them? They can get all that stuff on bladeshow.com. So a lot of those. Um, Social media banners, banners that you're talking about, those are all created. You know, those all live on our website. I, I don't think that a lot of people realize the wealth of information that's on our website. I know that. And I don't even mean from an exhibitor side. I mean, from an attendee side, you know, we get a lot of questions. And sometimes my gut response is, did you read the website? But, you know, there is a lot of information and there's a lot of questions actually answered on that website. Yeah, I think I think I read that FAQ page for exhibitors like ten times the before I went the first time. Even though I had been to Blade Show four times before, I was like, "What do I do? Where do I go?" And luckily, I had had Dan and uh, Todd Hunt and a couple other guys that I knew, and they're like, "Hey, you need to go over there. Hey, you need to do this now." Like, yeah, but- I gave you all the wrong information I could think of, and yet you have somehow still been able to be successful. I. <laughs> Well, and I think, you know, Kali, you've made a point too. And I think this is, this is a do for new knife makers. I really would say come to a blade show or two before you ever think about exhibiting or set up. I think you really should come to a show. I think you should see what it's all about. You should see what, you know, success stories you should see, you know, what, you know, what failures there may be because there are. And really, you know, use that as a learning opportunity before you just decide I make knives. I'm going to, I'm going to go set up at the biggest show in the world. I could not imagine trying to work that show cold. If I had not at least scouted it out once or twice. Even even just how to present your blades. Like I, uh, one of the, one of the last show that I went to before I actually put in my contract, like I took pictures of like, 
anyone that I could think of how they displayed their knives that I even liked. And like my, my setup is, uh, kind of unique. Uh, Scott McGee is kind of the closest one that, uh, how he had magnets in the, the like stands to kind of get them up off the table a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I kind of modeled mine after that, but, um, yeah, I get more comments on how my knives are actually displayed on the table than, than anything sometimes. Well, and I was going to say, you and I are kind of a, an example of, of opposite extremes. You've got that magnet system that is is really cool, and I've got the old school risers. You know exactly what you're looking at. Um, and, well, you got you got the pretty cool UV light thing for your Firefly stuff, too. Yeah, well, I cheat. I also have some pretty hot chicks that work the booth, but, you know, <laughs> fly, fish got to swim. <laughs> No, you know, I think to your point, you know, anything that you can do that helps set your, again, you're in a room with, if you're, especially if you're a table exhibitor, there's close to 700 tables of exhibitors at Blade Show. You've got to do something to kind of set yourself apart so that as people are walking by, if everybody just has their knives all laying systematically across the table, it's all going to just look like one big you know, overwhelming blur. No open flames. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The other recommendation, quite honestly, I would use for new makers is do a couple small regional shows. Again, do everything you can to see what the, what the customer's looking for. Um, Use those smaller shows as an opportunity to fine tune your craft. And then, you know, maybe attend Blade Show and then request to exhibit at Blade Show. For you know, Forged and Fire has done amazing, amazing things for the knife industry. However, to some degree, I think it's also hurt some new exhibitors because they maybe try to cache on that Forged and Fire, you know, if they won or something like that, but that doesn't necessarily parlay to sales at the Blade Show. Because just because you were on Fortune and Fire or one Fortune and Fire, you're just still sitting in a room with, you know, the best of the best. Yeah. And um, so it, it does require you to do a, a lot of your, your own research. And then from a marketing standpoint, creating buzz about your product, you know, maybe talk about, you know, whatever it is, but just kind of like we cry, try to create buzz with the show itself. Get people excited about what you're going to reveal at the Blade Show itself. So there's, you know, a journey that you're taking them on. And then the end result is, you know, coming to Blade Show. So there's a reason everybody premieres their new model at Blade Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always like to show a bunch of the the work in progress stuff going up to Blade Show. And then I have a usually have a picture of all the knives on the that I'm going to have there. And uh, that usually always gets a lot of comments. People come like, hey, I remember seeing the the blue handled uh, eight inch chef's knife. Where's that one? I'm like, oh, that one's over yes. here. So great example. Exactly. No, the answer to that is it's all sold out. You should have been here sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why wasn't I your first first person you went to? Uh, one of the one of the things I can think of is you know, along with creating the buzz is just having a having a website that people can get driven to. There's a there's a lot of people that that like don't even have business cards or anything. They're like, oh, I just have an Instagram. It's like you need to if you're wanting to try to do this full time or even make some serious money, you need to have some marketing materials and some stuff people can 
check your stuff out? Well, and the give and take with Blade is the downside is spammers can can mine the Blade Show website for right. information. The upside is people that go to the Blade Show website, if you take the time to set up a website, have a conduit back to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even sometimes like one of the, one of the people that I is one of my customers, he actually said, uh, hey, do you happen to have one of the the layouts from last year? I don't remember what the person's name was, but I remember about where their table was. And uh, that might be a might be a good thing to to keep on the website, like at least the the past year's layout, because I, I was lucky enough and saved it and sent it to him. So he was able to find the person that he was trying to get a hold of. And actually, a lot of times we do, and we actually, I get that email. I get that type of email a lot. And the good news is, you know, those are all files that I keep. So a lot of times somebody will say, Hey, I forgot to pick up a floor plan or I flew, you know, threw mine away and I can send it to them. What are, what are, or do you have any more things they sh- people should be doing? Um, no, I mean, I think, like I said, I think those, those are like critical for, for new exhibitors. And I, and I, I think again, the key is eight off the top of your head. That's pretty solid. <laughs> Come, you know, just manage your expectations. <laughs> Imagine how well she'd do if she were sober. <laughs> uh oh. For the record, I am a hundred percent sober. <laughs> Did you have any more things for Blade Show things things to do? Uh, no, I think for new exhibitors, we de- I think we definitely gave kind of the highlights. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Uh, buy a dogwood was, was the last thing she suggested. <laughs> That's the only thing for, she yeah. forgot. No, no, it's there. You just uh, didn't notice. What are, uh, what are some of the top 10 things to, to not do if you're a first time exhibitor at the blade ooh, show? Ooh, 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 ooh. I know. Number one, number one is don't piss off Alicia. Now that you're starting a very ugly rumor. that's question four we'll get to that one in a minute it's it's actually it's really hard to to upset me at the show not that i'm throwing that out as a challenge for anyone (laughs) so you know and especially a new exhibitor there's there's definitely you know not so much a a don't um because i feel like in some cases a lot of new exhibitors don't want to you know, don't want to muddy any waters or do anything that would get them in trouble. Probably the biggest thing as a new exhibitor is don't bring your friend with you and let them share your table because, you know, that is something that if we ever do find out, you know, is happening that, uh, that can be just means for dismissal from the show. So, um, that's, and, and I know many of people are going to say, you know, it happens all the time, but, we are very much trying to crack down on that when possible. Um, if you do it, don't be a a, um, a Richard about it. Like, <laughs> act um, like you're all the same company. Give us some probable deniability. Yeah. Um, another major don't is ideally don't leave before the show is over on Sunday. Again, we're trying to crack down and get a little better about that. Man, I am a life goal of mine is to be sitting there in the lawn chair at an empty booth. Be like all broken down and like, hey, I'm completely out. I have nothing left to offer you, but I'm maintaining my contractual agreement. That is correct. Um, that, that, 
That's a life goal of mine. Yeah, but really, other than that, I mean, there's there's not a lot of things that we say don't do or this will will happen. I mean, I feel like our the knife making community, and, and once that show starts, it is. Everybody goes into business mode and we don't have too many problems. What about some of the pre-show stuff, like getting things in on time? Like what are some mistakes that people make either getting ready for the show or moving into the show that what are some of the impediments? Like if you had just, if you had made it easier on yourself. The biggest, I quite honestly, the biggest thing that is a challenge and this is not, this is for new and here's the thing, though. New exhibitors are so eager that they actually do follow all the rules. <laughs> so that question is probably, rule? yeah, that question's probably better served for the veterans of the industry. Which, that's legitimate. You don't want to screw it up and lose your grandfather status. All right. Here's some things you need to do. Right. You know, the way like I, I kind of point that I made earlier is we don't for the most part, we really don't. For a show this size, we do not send out a high volume of emails. The emails that we send out are very specific. There, there is a call to action to them. You know, it's information that you need to have that's that's vital to participating in the show. Um, that having been said, um, you know, the biggest excuse I hear is. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a computer person or we're knife makers. We don't do this. <laughs> what people do need to understand though, that we're managing 950 exhibitors. And when we send out something and, and, you know, give everybody adequate enough time, because I do respect that you are people that don't sit in front. Of, yeah. You know, you are people that don't sit in front of computers, but if all 950 of you wait till the very last minute, to turn everything in, that creates a really just huge backlog and um, puts us in a situation that so many times where, you know, at the 10th hour, because we're waiting on that information to come in that we need, that then puts us up against the wall too, to get done what we need to get done. So mine was in at nine o'clock on the 31st. But I think for some exhibitors, it really is a game. They want to see what the latest they can turn it in and not, you know, wreak any havoc. But um, if they make your life miserable or if they miss the deadline, fair is fair. If you miss the deadline, then some young up and comer that they got their stuff in on time is going to get your spot. And and it is getting to that point. We are definitely at that point where where people that think the deadlines are arbitrary Maybe back in the day you could get away with that, but but you can't now. You're not so special anymore. Yeah, those dead and those deadlines have very specific meaning. You know, you keep alluding to the fact that what do I do the other 360 days? Well, all the deadlines that we put in place, everything that we we do, there's a method behind the madness, and you know, it really does help us run our business efficiently. So you didn't pick that number at random. There's no. there's then that there's that deadline. No. And it, basically it's so you, you can give your spot to somebody that gets their stuff in on time. Well, I we always give a little grace period. Don't oh, worry. But God. you know, that's gonna cost you money to get Kyle to edit that out. <laughs> I've done this long enough to know to build in a little bit of a buffer, but 
it, it is more about, you know, I use the analogy, if, if you sold a knife to someone and they waited seven weeks to pay you, you probably wouldn't be very happy. So same thing with us. You know, when we send something out with a deadline, there's intent behind that deadline. So you choosing to wait two weeks after that deadline to send that information in, you know, makes it more difficult on us. So I consider myself of a, a somewhat of a, dare I say, savant of dumb questions. I mean, I fully encapsulate there are no dumb people, but there are some dumb questions. So I say this as a challenge to you. Has there been a dumber question than anything I've ever asked you? Yes, probably the most popular one. Does the early bird ticket mean you get in early? <laughs> Is my favorite. <laughs> That's that's special. That's that's probably the the best for me. I, I've had others over the course of time, but that's the one that I without fail get every year. Uh, that's special. And again, it is written on the website under the FAQs <laughs> what the early bird ticket is. So, I, I, I feel like I have been challenged. I mean, I, I, I really I, I feel like I can shut down my full frontal lobe. Give me until next year, but I think I got a better the one. Challenge, okay. I'll, I'll wait for the challenge. So that, and then you then you need to propagate that question to have everybody else ask. Right. Oh my gosh! <laughs> when maybe for the fortieth anniversary, we will do a fun stupidest questions ever asked of the Blade Share team and do something fun with it. We do. We've got to do an episode. Like Thursday night, we'll post it Thursday night when she's too busy with like little things like setting up the show to listen. <laughs> and if we can get all four of our listeners to all ask the same dumb question. Poof. I'm, I'm, I'm a champion again. I, I know. I get it. I, you know, and I just thought of one more thing that when you guys said, what is something that exhibitors do or don't do? Please actually read the emails that we sent. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know. It's mind-blowing to think that you actually have to read. (laughs) You assume we can read. (laughs) I do. I do. Because inevitably, I always get a question, never without fail, of someone that asks where the answer is already in the email. So there you have it. Thanks for a successful Blade Show. Yep. Read and respond to your email. That was an amazing 2020. Great show, guys. Thank you very much. And you will be my new favorite person if you read and respond to the emails. So second favorite person. We got a little, you know, I'm not saying, but I, I cracked the code. There you have it. <laughs> uh, so what are what are some of the best and worst rumors that you've heard? from different knife makers going uh, that wasn't stuff that came from you? Um, that the show is moving to Las Vegas. Um, Ooh, awesome. Oh. <laughs> um, that the show is moving in general. Um, when we yeah. were purchased, uh, one of the best ones, all the money that people had paid in was not going to go towards their show payment and that they were all going to have to pay all over again. Let's see. Dan and I actually talked about this last year, 2019. Somebody went out on the show floor and started a rumor that if you didn't get your contract turned in at the show, you were going to lose your space. So 
Oh, that, and I was hooked. Yeah, I'm not even sure how that got started, but um, uh, it was Andy Roy. Just for the record, <laughs> it was Andy Roy. I mean, Poor, I'm Andy. <laughs> Poor Andy. Um, let's see. A lot of it's usually about, mostly, like I said, it's about moving. A lot of people also kind of going back to uh, a lot of the things that we send out. A lot of times it's kind of done in segments or especially this year, you know, this year with the show canceling has created a, a whole new logistics, um, something that I've had to, you know, work through that's new for us. And as a result, we're emailing different groups of people with different information based on, you know, whether they were still attending the show, et cetera. And so a lot of times, again, we know people, well, my, you know, my buddy got an email already. How come I haven't got? And uh, there's reasons behind all that. Sometimes it's because this person did this and you haven't done that yet. So you're going to get an email soon. Dude, here's the, you pissed off Alicia. You may not know when, you may not know where, you may not know how, but you did. That That's why you haven't gotten the email yet. Yeah, no, it's, again, everything is done very methodically. And with, and so that's, um, I think that's the biggest thing, but uh, usually it's the moving the show, you know, is moving to a new venue. That's probably the biggest rumor that we get. But like we tell everybody at the end of the day, unless it has literally come from Blade Show, a Blade Show newsletter, a Blade Show social media channel, a Blade Show staff member, it is a rumor. And please don't believe it. <laughs> now, I have heard that when there's a problem during the show, the best way to handle that is loud with lots of obscenities and be as abusive as possible to, to your employees. Is, is that still true? Yes. It's, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> I've had those situations and I usually just bring a police officer along with me and it works out well. In all seriousness, if, if there's a snafu, you know, it, it's a huge process with a lot of moving parts. If somebody's having trouble, if you're talking to an ignorant older person, like, I don't know, say that's been there since 2010, or a, a first timer, like w when there's a stumble, when there's something going on that they need help with, what's the best way for them to approach that? Uh, I would always say definitely come up to come up to the exhibitor counters or find somebody with a Blade Show um, staff shirt on and nine times out of 10, they'll, it, they'll get to me and between my communication channels, depending on what the situation is, um, usually I can handle it. And if not, I will definitely bring in, you know, the necessary people immediately to, to help. We don't ever want somebody to be in uncomfortable. We don't want ever something to ever be wrong that we don't know about. You know, there's no problem too big or too small that we don't ever want to know about. And we encourage people to, you know, to come up. And again, some problems are very, what are probably very big to them may be very small to us, but um, we always want to be there to help. And we don't want anybody to ever feel like they can't come up and, and ask. We may not be able to provide a solution immediately at that time, but we'll sure as heck try everything we can. All right. So... All right, I'm going to be um, this kind of ruffled my feathers. Some of the other makers I know that that have struggled with this and this is kind of a makers show. So please forgive me. But 
the shift from VIP to cat pass. Um, I've had some pushback. That was, that was my way to really, that was my thank you to some of the, uh, some of the people that really helped keep me, keep me in business. The, the rest of the year that helped me stay alive so that I can get to blade show. And I've gotten some pushback in that some of the early birds and stuff are getting in before them. Is there something, uh, what caused the change? And is there something blade show can do to, to help kind of put some meat back on that bone? Um, absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot behind that. There's, there's been a lot of legacy with the show. Um, some of the legacy is, is great and, and tradition and we, and we've carried on with it, but as the business has evolved, as the attendance has significantly grown, you know, there's been some decisions that we've had to make to manage, really to manage the flow of people, to manage, um, the growth. And one thing that we were hearing on the other side of the business, very loud and clear from the early bird ticket holders was, you know, we're paying a premium to come into the show early. And, you know, at the same time, the VIP pass holders who were paying not even a percentage of that were also coming in at the same time. And so it really caused us to kind of take a step back, um, look at, look at everything across the board, look at the program. And, you know, part of the reason we changed it was it's not while those people are obviously a VIP comes with the automatic stigma of, you know, red carpet benefits, all those types of things. And traditionally with a VIP program, it's kind of been reversed with a VIP program. You're the one that's going to pay the $350 tickets to be backstage, you know, to meet Garth Brooks, to have tickets up on the front seat. You're going to pay the, the top dollar for that VIP experience. So it really caused us to reflect on the name change and really look at it as the customer appreciation pass because those people obviously are very important and we value them as, as knife show attendees. But like you just said, they, they've been very valuable to your business and you appreciate their business and they're your, your customers. And so what that pass does is create a, a huge discount for you to offer them to come for the weekend. And we only pushed their entry into the show back an hour. But again, it goes back to these early bird guys were paying $25 and even now $35 on top of their daily ticket and their three-day pass. So they're, they're paying for the privilege to go in the door first. And that's really what the thought process behind it all was. And again, not every single attendee that buys that early bird ticket, they may not have a personal relationship with an exhibitor in there. So they don't have the opportunity to get one of those passes from you guys. So it just kind of leveled the playing field out a little bit and just made the program. Again, it didn't take away from what you're still doing. You're offering a significant discount for them to attend the show. And they get in an hour after the early bird guys do. Yeah, the the only thing that I kind of had a problem with is because those the CAP passes at least the last 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 year you had to do it online, but then the the window shut like a month before 
Blade Show started? And we actually changed that this year. So that was the first time okay. we did that. And thanks for bringing that up, Kyle. Again, everything we do is is there's method, but there's always room for improvement. And this year we actually were going to extend that basically to like, I, I can't remember the exact date, but I think it was going to be like the week before the show instead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes that that's a lot better. Cause I had a bunch of people that I knew and they're like, well, I'm not going to know until like two, two weeks sure. before when I get my shift schedule or things like that. Yeah, so. no, we, and, and that was a great, that was a great um, source of feedback that we got. And I, I know, again, the paying online again was a change, but then what it really did when it, when we got on site, it worked out brilliantly. There was no line of people having to stand in line to pay, to do all that. Instead, they came, they had a nice printed badge with their name on it. Um, they picked it up and that process was much more seamless than in the years past. Um, is there, and we can edit this out if we need to, is there some middle ground where maybe the, the cat pass people get first shot at the early bird, or maybe they get a discount from the early bird, just, just some value that we can, we can give to those customers that have really been there for us. A, a lot of your customers, quite honestly, they they know that they're going to get a pass from you, so they actually still can go in and buy an early bird. There's oh. there's not a, a there's not a because sometimes I do have to do I have to go through the list to make sure. And there are a lot of times I'll email a guy and be like, I noticed you bought an early bird, but you didn't buy a ticket. And they're like, I know I'm getting a cat pass, but I wanted to get in early, so I went ahead and bought my early bird ticket. Yeah. So, the, so there's still some uh, uh, there's still some value added for for the customers that have been there for us, right? Exactly. And again, you ha- you do have to look at it as the customer that's been there for you. They are getting a significant discount. You know, they're paying twenty five dollars versus forty five dollars. You know, to come in for the weekend. So yeah, on the three day pass. Yeah, on the three day pass. Yeah, but my customers are really awesome. They're <laughs> way better than everybody else. So maybe not for everybody, but just for certain vendors. Yeah, again, they can they can <laughs> buy an early bird pass for sure. <laughs> uh, we touched on it a little bit, but uh, we did talk about some of the scams that are going out there. What are some of the things that people need to look for? Like um, the Go biggest, ahead. yeah, the biggest thing is. It will always come from either Blade Show email address or it will come from our housing bureau, which will have the words Blade Show in it, or it will come from our, our Blade Show management newsletter based system. And again, we really only send out about eight emails. And when we announce that the housing bureau has opened that block, we generally send one email to the exhibitors and then we send one email to the attendees. And, and that's usually, that's it. That once that email has gone out and announced that is opened, if you get any other email about, you know, renting a, or I'm sorry, reserving a hotel room, it's spam. So, you know, we do it one time. So, and then obviously it's on social media, but if you're getting anything other than that one time from us, then it's all spam mail. And I think this is another big rumor or misnomer that we need to correct. We do not 
sell our exhibitor list or our attendee list to anyone. So the spam mails that go out that says, hey, are you interested in buying the list of attendees with all their contact information? That's spam. We we would never sell that information. Then I need to apologize for a couple of the emails I sent you. Um, <laughs> kind of heat of the moment. I was a little confused. Yeah, for a while there, uh, last year, I like saved them and I got like t- over 20 it was like 25 emails with all different names of all different people wanting to sell me. And it's frustrating. Like you said, Kyle, you can't block them because then it just comes from another generic mm-hmm. email. Well, I love too when you guys announced that it was postponed and I was still getting emails even past, would you like to buy the attendee list for uh, the June Blade Show? And I'm like, yeah, I already got it. No one was there. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, again, it's unfortunate that we're in a a day and age when that exists, but there's no parent company. There's nobody we can, you know, threaten to cease and desist against because for every three that we could stop, there's 15 more that are doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that they're even like some people have to be doing it in order for them to even make it worthwhile. It just blows me away that that's even a. Well, I'm sure they would find out quickly. I mean, we've had fun with a couple of them before. We've actually called them and just talked to them and tried to get them to sell us something. And then we usually come clean that we actually run the Blade Show. And then it's kind of funny to listen to them stumble Stumble over over their words. words. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. So I think that's pretty much all the questions that uh, we had. Is there anything else you want to plug or let the let the listeners know about first or you know i i think for me personally it's thanks thanks for really the support of the community this year um with the date change which which turned in unfortunately to the cancellation and just really the support um that everybody gave us um we know that everybody was bummed as were we but we also know in our hearts it was the right decision and but um just the the support that everybody gave us um the magazine and and continues to give us and we just are appreciative of all the enthusiasm for 2021 and look forward to really just bringing everybody back together i know everybody else is excited to see everybody else i think there'll be some little small pop-ups that still happen this year but you know, we don't even know what the beginning of 2021 looks like right now. We, you know, we really need a big trade show to happen at the beginning of 2021 so that we feel like there's some return to normalcy. So all we need to know, big giant cake, somebody's popping out. Of. <laughs> exactly. That's all you need to know. <laughs> exactly. No, we, we definitely have, we definitely have some fun things. Um, in store for that we'll be talking about and rolling out here soon for, for 2021. And um, in the meantime, we're just trying to keep our community engaged and makes it a little harder when there's no show, but uh, the meme game is strong and Mm. people have been posting a lot of their blade show memories and that's fun. And everybody always enjoys seeing those. So we're actively doing that and um, we'll start doing some giveaways here soon over the next couple of months to just, again, keep our audience engaged. And we don't want people to, you know, step aside because there's no shows going on right now. So 
Because there's only the show. There's only the show. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I've been uh, just haven't gotten around to posting some of my Blade Show memories and stuff. I've been wanting to, to do some of that. Kyle keeps editing mine. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's fun for everybody to see. You still you still have your dogwood you still have your dogwood account. <laughs> oh, that's the family friendly account. I can't post that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you very much, Alicia. I no, thank you both. I th- yes. Yeah, people want to get keep keep in touch with you. Is there uh, any any best way to keep in touch with you? They got the we'll have the the links and stuff to. To blade show yeah the best way really for for the, us as always is just a simple blade at bladeshow.com i think without fail anybody in the entire blade show industry can tell you if they send an email to blade at bladeshow.com they will get an email response <laughs> kyle i will pay you money if you put elevator music over that entire response like- <laughs> Nor will my cell phone number ever happen. So a girl's gonna have a little bit of privacy. I I know you don't want to give up your current cell phone number, but the one you had, say, 15 years ago, what would that be? No. (laughs) No. Sorry. Uh, Sorry, sorry. And then uh, what 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 are the social media accounts that you uh, that Blade Show covers? Uh, we have obviously our Blade Magazine social media, and then we have the Blade Show social media. What would that be on Twitter face? Oh, I would or, have to look up our. I'd have to look Twitter. up our Twitter. Social media for Instagram is Blade Show, and then on Facebook is also Blade Show, and then on Instagram we have Blade Magazine, and on Facebook we have Blade Magazine. So pretty much Blade Show or Blade Magazine, and they're going to find what they want. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. Well, you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com. There'll be uh, links and stuff um, and a lot of stuff in the show notes. So you can check that out on knifeperspective.com. And you can connect with the podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find the podcast wherever you're listening right now, as well as iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or iHeartRadio. And you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. Uh, he would have been Blade Show Booth 537. I, I had to make Dan figure that out, figure out that booth number. So I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. And uh, you can find his knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And he's Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, always email him at dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And uh, you can get in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives. Uh, I would have been at Blade Show Table 3 B and my website, uh, cagedailyknives.com cage daily knives on facebook instagram and twitter uh so alicia it was a uh, great uh great getting to talk to you and uh learn a little bit more about uh, some of the people that are behind the blade show yes thank you guys for your time and support and um 
really going deep. I hopefully this will educate a lot of people about the show and everything that <laughs> makes to happen. Cool. Dan, do you have anything else? Say goodnight, Kyle. <laughs> Good night, Kyle. Well, let's take it to the edge. Cause that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our big Cause that's what's expected. It's the night Kyle, yep. for the record, that's for you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Get to edit that one out. <laughs> or maybe I'll just throw it at the end. You never know. Yeah, you know, I'm a giver me. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I know you don't listen to the uh, the episodes, Dan, but uh, you should go back and listen to the, the beginning of the last one because I left uh, left your, your pre-intro intro. actually this is going to be contrary to my personality i know a lot of people aren't going to buy this but i actually do not like to hear myself so my wife and kids will listen to it and then critique me so the night after these podcasts come out we spend dinner with my wife and two kids telling me everything i could have done better um, I'm a little shocked they didn't tell me about that. That is probably because they wanted to keep it my secret shame. <laughs> well, the podcast only went out today, so you got a day or two oh, to sweet. prepare. 